You are listening to a sermon podcast from Kingdom City. We pray that over the next few moments, you will be blessed, equipped, and empowered to bring the reality of God to your world. It is good to be in Kingdom City on a Sunday morning. I have a confession to make. Kingdom City is my favorite church on the face of the planet. That's a true story. I loved you before it was popular. I, I utterly and completely am humbled, overwhelmed, and privileged to be with, with you this, this morning. Um, I, I did feel the moment I met your pastors several years back that God had cemented our hearts together. Um, I don't know if it's just because we're both brown or what it is, but um, we just, uh, I just absolutely love, 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 love Pastor Mark and Jemima. What an apostolic grace. What a visionary. What a brilliant leader. What a brilliant, articulate communicator. What a kind, incredible human being. And what, an, what one of the greatest gifts in my life, Pastor Mark, has been the gift of relationship with you and with Jemima and with this incredible Kingdom City family. So thank you for the privilege to speak into your house. Thank you for the privilege to be here today. Uh, I love you more than Kanye West loves Chick-fil-A. That's a true story. <laughs> I, uh, I just thank you so much for the privilege. Can we give it up for our senior leaders, Pastor Mark and Jemima? <clears throat> you can be seated. My wife, Lindsay, so wishes she could be with you today. She's back home with our new baby girl. She's now six months old. There she is. I hope to bring her. I promise if you meet her, it will be the highlight of your entire life. Uh, this little girl is amazing. We have two older boys. I don't, I'm not showing a picture of them today. Um, they're basically like a WWE ring every single day. So we needed a girl desperately to soften things up around the house, but she uh, she's, sends her greetings and wishes she was here and with you guys. But uh, it, is, it is good to be in God's house. Is anyone hungry for God's word today? You guys are looking amazing. Everybody knows the best looking people on the face of the earth are here down under in Australia, specifically in Perth. Quickly look to your neighbor, say, if it wasn't for you, real strong, say, if it wasn't for you, I'd be the best looking person in church today. <clears throat> Let's begin this morning in 2 Kings chapter 6 verse 8. 2 Kings chapter 6 verse 8. Now the king of Aram was at war with Israel. How many people know we are in a spiritual war? After conferring with his officers, he said, I will set up my camp in such and such a place. The man of God sent word to the king of Israel, beware of passing that place because the Armenians are going down there. So the king of Israel checked on the place indicated by the man of God. Time and again, Elisha warned the king so that he was on his guard in such places. This enraged the king of Aram. He summoned his officers and demanded of them, tell me which of us is on the side of the king of Israel. None of us, my lord, the king, said one of his officers, but Elisha, the prophet who was in Israel, tells the king of Israel the very words you speak in your bedroom. The title of our message this morning is Eyes Wide Open. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, we thank you. Eye has never seen, ear has never heard. It's never entered the heart of humanity what you have prepared for your church, what you have prepared 
for your people in this hour of history. Spirit of God, equip, empower, strengthen, anoint, position your people, we pray. Let it be done in this house and in this church and in this city as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, and everybody shout it. Israel keeps maneuvering around the threat of the enemy because they have prophetic insight into the enemy's playbook. Imagine being the king of Aram and every time you go to attack, Israel already knows where you're going to be, when you're going to be there, how you're going to attack Because there's this man of God named Elisha who prophetically hears from heaven and forewarns God's people of the enemy's attacks. Isn't it a wonderful thing that as the people of God, we don't have to be ignorant of the enemy's devices. In fact, we can know with eyes wide open his playbook. It's an incredible thing when you play a sport and There's no surprises. When you know exactly the play they're going to run on the field, there's an unfair advantage that you have. And I have good news for us this morning. There is not one attack the enemy will throw at us that will take us by surprise. Because we know his playbook. And there will be many weapons formed against us, but how many people know they shall not prosper, not one of them? In fact, we are not engaging in this war with eyes shut, but we have eyes wide open so that we not only see in the natural, but we see in the supernatural. We not only perceive in the physical world, but we actually perceive by the spirit what the enemy would try to throw against us, and we're able to maneuver his attacks time and time and time again. I believe that Kingdom City is a revival. It's historic. It's a global force. I was with a pastor of the largest church in America, Pastor Craig Groeschel, a couple of months back, and he joined us in Peru. He said, you know, the reason that I'm here is because of your age. He said, I've never preached in Central or South America, but I I accepted the invitation to come speak at your leaders conference because you guys are all in your mid-30s. And he said, what, you've, what you represent to me is, is the power of exponential growth, the power of compounding growth. He goes, you guys haven't even hit the curve. And I believe Kingdom City hasn't even hit the curve. We've not even begun to see what God's going to do and, and once, you hit the, once you hit the curve of exponential growth. How many people know eye has never seen, ear has never heard, it's never entered the heart of humanity? Several years ago, I was in a Sunday night here, I think it was two and a half, three years ago, and one of the prophetic words I'd never spoken over a church before is that there will be campuses in Kingdom City that must be in stadiums. There will be cities that stadiums will be the only option as an appropriate venue for the church. And I was reminded of that word as I got ready this morning. And we know that the enemy will come to stop, to slow down, to distract what God is doing. But how many people know it won't take us by surprise? Yeah. 
We have eyes wide open to see, to perceive, to know by the Spirit that what he brings at us is not going to take us off our game. We know the, the, the things he's going to try. First, we know he's going to try to break covenant through offense and, and a divisive spirit. A couple of weeks ago, one of the members of our leadership team, the, the individual who leads our missions, Me College, was spending some time in Dallas, Texas with a Bible teacher named Kenneth Copeland. And Kenneth Copeland looked at uh, Chris and he said, Chris, do you know why you young guys are experiencing a move of God? Chris said, why? He said, he said, because of covenant. He said, because you have unity of heart. And he said, the only thing that will stop what you're experiencing is offense among your leadership team. And then he did a 20-minute, 100-year history of revival, and he talked about how every move of God that stopped, stopped because of division among leadership. And he said prophetically, he said, as you turn and face America, knowing what we're about to do in 2020, he said, this is the way the enemy's going to try to attack you. Position and guard your heart for don't let offense come in your spirit, but stay united. And I declare that this move of God that is Kingdom City will be one mind, one heart, one accord, will maintain unity, and nothing's going to break the covenant that binds this church and this team together. How many people know we've seen his playbook before, and though that weapon come against us, it will not prosper. I believe that this church will be marked by historic and unprecedented unity of heart and thought and vision. We know he'll try to get us to divide. Secondly, we know he'll try to get us to hold back our seed. I love that you're coming into a legacy moment of giving these next couple of weeks. Because generosity is one of the marks of revival. In the book of Acts, when God was moving, men were selling property, laying finances at the apostles' feet. When people are giving generos- in generosity and giving sacrificially and giving irrationally, it's one of the marks that the Spirit of God is at work. But the enemy would try to tell us, hold back your seed. In the, in the book of Ecclesiastes, it says, send your grain across the seas, and in time the profits will flow back to you. Check this out. Farmers who wait for perfect weather never plant. If they watch every cloud, they never harvest. You know, sometimes the enemy will, will say to you, just, just wait till you have a little more career security. Just, just wait till you hit that next level of pay scale. Just wait until that major life event is over. Just wait until there's more in the safe. Just wait. But how many people know farmers who wait for perfect weather never get the harvest? Sometimes you just got to sow by faith into your future and into the promise of God. The Apostle Paul was talking to the church in Corinth and He said, I don't really need to to write to you about the ministry of giving because I know how eager you were to help. In verse 3, he said, "I'm, I'm sending these brothers to be sure you really are ready, though, as I've been telling them. That your money is all collected. I I don't want to be wrong in my boasting about you. So Paul starts by saying, I know that you guys were eager to give. I know that you wrote down audacious faith goals and pledges. 
And I've been actually bragging about what you committed to by faith. But I am sending the guys to come now collect what you wrote down. I'm I'm sending uh, the members of my leadership team to to make sure you're going to make good on what you committed to. And Paul's encouraging them. And he continues in verse 6 and says, Don't forget, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. But he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity. God loves a cheerful giver. Check this out. And now Paul makes this declaration. He said, and God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that having all sufficiency in all things you may have in abundance. Somebody say abundance for every good work. Paul says, even as you're holding your seed, just know, The enemy is going to try to tell you not to sow the full seed, not to release the fullness of what you're supposed to release. But just know this, if you hold back, you'll you'll reap a a minimal return. But if you go all in, you're going to reap bountifully. And not only this, not only that, God is able to make all grace abound towards you so that you have an abundance. In other words, God wants to recalibrate you to a new level of living where you have abundance for every good work. I don't know about you, but I want abundance for every good work. I'm feeling my faith rising for me personally right now. I want abundance for every good work. He talks to the Philippines, and and he says to the the Philippian church, he says, Now you Philippians know that in the beginning of the gospel when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. For even in Thessalonica you sent aid once and again for my necessities. Now, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. You know God could just have one person fund a whole church movement and write one check, but he says, no, that's not not the way it's going to work. I'm going to trap what a move of God needs in the hearts and lives of thousands of people because I want them to experience the harvest in their lives. He says, not that I seek the gift, but I actually, I, I'm, I'm really after what's going to come back to you. Indeed, I have it all. I'm full, having received from Epaphroditus a thing set from you, a sweet-smelling aroma. Check this out. And my, rich, and my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Now to the church in Corinth, he says, God is able to make all grace abound to you before they give. Now to the the church in Philippians, he has a different word. He says, my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory. See, when you release the seed, you shift from what God is able to do to what God shall do. To... To the church in Corinth, he says, don't you know what God wants to do? Don't you know he wants to bring you into abundance? Don't you know he wants to recalibrate your life in abundance, to to make his grace pour out, to supply all your need? But to the Philippian church who had already taken the step of faith, he's able to authoritatively declare, God will supply all your need. How many people believe it this morning? Just clap like you're ready to be generous, church. Just clap like you're ready to sow in faith. Just just clap like you're ready to release an uncommon seed, a seed of faith. One thing I've learned, faith-filled, spirit-led giving always returns multiplied. 
it's a fact. This next year, we're about to do something unprecedented as a ministry. We've buried ourselves in the nations these last 15 years as a ministry. The last seven years, we've been doing these One Nation, One Day campaigns across Central and South America. We had a minister with us, Pastor Tommy Barnett. He was the president of the Assemblies of God in America for many years, pastor of the largest church in America for many years, chancellor of many universities. And he was one of the guest speakers at our first One Nation One Day in Honduras. He actually stood next to the president on the platform in the Olympic Stadium, watched that first historic moment. And afterwards, he invited me to come to Los Angeles to speak at the church that he had co-founded with his son called the Dream Center. And I'll never forget speaking that night and afterwards he said, Dominic, the real reason I brought you here wasn't just to see the LA Dream Center, it was because I haven't been able to shake this thought for six months. What if we could have a one nation, one day type outreach here in the city of Los Angeles? What if you brought your thousands of missionaries here? What if we took an iconic stadium here? What if we leveraged our relationships in media and government here and we did something in the first world in, the, in a cultural capital in a global city that the world has never seen before? Now, I had always felt my primary vision was for developing nations, but how many people know when a general speaks to you in spirit, you can't respond in logic? I said, this is, this is sacred, so we held it in our heart and actually held it for five years in our heart. But now in 2020, for the first time ever, One Nation One Day will become One Day L.A., we're believing to mobilize 20,000 missionaries, the largest missions team in history, and have the week culminate in the largest stadium in the western half of the United States, the Los Angeles Memorial Coliseum. How many people think it's possible? <clears throat> um, for these last several One Nation, One Days, we've been getting stadiums free. In fact, presidents have been giving us stadiums free and a few of the privately owned ones, we guilted the owners that they don't love their nation enough if they don't give them to us for free. And, but apparently in L.A., they don't do that there. I remember getting the contract just a couple months ago, and they want like $2 million just to turn the lights on. And I was in like near depression for several weeks thinking, Lord, I, we just got done with Peru. It was the biggest thing we've ever done. 10,000 missionaries. We are in 10 stadiums across the nation. We, we leveraged everything into Peru. How are we going to turn in less than two years, just one year's time, take on this stadium. That's just to turn the lights on. That's not to advertise in a first world city. That's not to mobilize. That's not all the things we want to do. That's just step one. And I told the guys, I said, guys, econ the economics don't add up. We're going to have to sow and believe that God's going to bring something supernaturally. So we all agreed, sow a seed outside of our ministry to another ministry. Do you know two weeks ago, 30 days later, I was at breakfast unsolicited a businessman slides a check across the table. He said, God spoke to me. I opened the envelope. It's a check for a million dollars. How many people know God is able? How many people know God is able to make all grace abound so that we have abundance for every good work? I believe what God's called you to, you can't earn on your own. You can't work hard enough on your own. You're going to have to get into his economic system and begin to sow in faith, sow by the Spirit, and, and believe that he's going to release a harvest in your life that will help you fulfill your destiny. How many people believe it? Remember, Elisha is giving insights 
to God's people so that when the enemy attacks, he's unsuccessful. In the same way for us as the church, we have insights. We know he's going to try to divide us. We know he's going to try to say, don't uh, sow seed. The third thing we know he's going to try to say is obedience, holiness, purity doesn't really matter. He's going to always try to question in our mind the relevance of it. One thing I've realized is he, he works to diminish the consequence of compromise in our mind. Remember what he said to Adam? He said, did God really say? I mean, guys, it's not going to be that big of a deal. There's trees, there's fruit. You're eating all the trees and the fruit. Why not just eat? Is, is God's word really relevant, Adam? Does it really matter? This is what the enemy does. We're not ignorant of his devices. He tries to diminish and underscore, or excuse me, diminish and lessen and weaken the consequences of compromise. But I believe that God's raising up a church who, who doesn't want to see how close they can get to sin, but how far they can stay away from sin. Who doesn't just want to run uh, uh, from sin, but they want to run towards holiness and righteousness. Paul, writing to, the, to, to, to young Timothy, said, In a wealthy home, some utensils are made of gold and silver. Some are made of wood and clay. The expensive utensils are for special occasions, and the cheap ones are for everyday use. If you keep yourself pure. You will be a special utensil for special use. I believe with all my heart right now that God is scanning the, the body of Christ and he's looking to, to his people and he's just calling them out to distinguish them and to showcase their life. He's saying special use, special use, special use, special. And he's looking for people who will just commit to keep themselves pure. And he says, if you, if, if, if somebody say if, one more time, say if. He said, if you keep yourself pure, God will highlight your life. God will promote your life. He wants to diminish the consequences of sin, and he wants to diminish the consequences of obedience, the blessing on obedience. See, not only does compromise take us backwards, but obedience dramatically accelerates us into the things of God. Our enemy would seek to diminish it. But we are not ignorant of his devices. We know we are wiser than that. We know the, the, the hand he's going to try to play before he even plays it. And the, I think the fourth thing that he continually will try to do is we're, in, is we're running after his his promises, and as we're in this spiritual war, so he'll try to attack our confidence. Any spirit of fear that's arisen in your heart to try to push you off of what God said is yours, how many people know we have to identify it and reject it categorically? We have to recognize its source and reject it categorically. Because how many people know God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power? Somebody say power. Somebody say love. Somebody say sound mind. Anything that's not this spirit doesn't belong in our hearts. Elisha the prophet is giving God's people insight into the enemy's tactics so that they keep avoiding his attacks. 
They keep prevailing even when he attacks. So now the king of Aram is upset, and in verse 13, he says, go find out where Elisha is so I can send men and capture him. The report came back. He is in Dothan. Then he sent horses and chariots and a strong force. They went by night and surrounded the city. When the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh no, my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more. Somebody say, are more. One more time, say, are more. They are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed this prayer. Open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. See, God doesn't just want to give us open eyes to see the enemy's attack. He wants to give us open eyes to see how many are those that are with us are greater than those that are with him. And the Lord opened his servant's eyes and he looked and he saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around. First John 4, 4, but you belong to God, my dear children. You already won a victory because the spirit who lives in you is greater than the spirit who lives in this world. How many people knows that he that is with us is greater than he that's in the world? You know that confidence that you walk in when you know the game you're playing, you're destined to win it? That's the kind of confidence that Jesus wants us to walk through this, to, through this life. He wants us to, to have this lean in the spirit because we know every battle that we face, we have more with us than with the enemy. He wants us to know that in every nation, every city, every community, he is greater and we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. One of the prayers I've been praying over my life in this season is, Lord, open my eyes. Lord, open my eyes. I don't want to make one fear-based decision, not one. Lord, make me fearless. Lord, make me confident. Lord, make me strong. Lord, make me a st stand in my authority. Lord, I don't want to be intimidated by anything. I don't want to be the lid to what you want to do. Lord, I, want, I don't want to be the, inhibit, the inhibitor. I don't want to diminish. I don't want to reduce what you want to do. Instead, Lord, open my eyes to see that you are greater. My prayer this morning is that God would open our eyes. See, if our eyes are open, then we're never going to be blindsided when the enemy attacks us. We're going to continue to move, maneuver around his attacks. And we're also never going to be intimidated to walk into the fullness of his promise over our lives. We're going to know that many are those that are with us, that, that greater are the, is he that's in us than he that's in the world. That the angels of heaven are literally encamped around about us. That God himself is fighting for me. Isn't it amazing that the battle is the Lord's and the victory is mine? And anything and everything he puts in my heart shall be established. Would you stand to your feet all across the room? Lord, open my eyes, open my eyes, open my eyes.
I don't want to make one move in fear. I don't want to make one move outside of the authority you've called me to walk in. Jesus, after his ascension, the Bible says before he ascended, he descended, he captured the keys of authority back from Satan. Holding the keys of authority in his hand, he looked at his church. He said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go disciple nations. Go lead nations. Jesus handed us the keys of authority and said, I've given you authority to tread upon serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the devil. I've given you authority to walk, to move, to boldly possess. Would you close your eyes all across the room? What is it God's promised you? What's the word over your family? What's the word over your life? Don't let his same old playbook prevail. Don't let him break you out of unity and alignment with his church. Don't let him keep your seed back and intimidate you. Don't, don't let him get you into compromise. Don't let him attack your confidence. But say, Lord, even now, just, just, just say, Lord, open my eyes. Would you lift your hands with me all across the room this morning? Just, just say, Lord, open my eyes. Let me see that those who are with me are greater. Hmm. Father, I pray that you would even impart confidence this morning. Father, I pray that you would impart authority this morning father i pray that you would impart a persevering spirit a tenacity this morning some are so close to the breakthrough and the enemy's trying to scream you're never going to make it you're not going to get there i lord i pray that there would be open eyes now in the name of jesus that we would actually see the reality in the spirit that it is the victory is already ours we're not even fighting for victory. We are literally fighting from victory. Thanks for listening to this week's message. If you have never entered into a relationship with Jesus, we want you to know that He loves you very much. So much that He died on the cross for all of your sins that stood between you and God. If you would like to make a decision to follow Jesus today, all you need to do is to repeat this prayer. Dear God, I come to you in the name of Jesus. I admit that I'm not right with you and I want to be right with you. I ask you to forgive me of all of my sins. I believe with my heart and confess with my mouth that Jesus is the Lord and Savior of my life. Thank you for saving me and making me your child. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, or if God has done anything in your life because of this podcast, we would love to know. Email us at testimony at kingdomcity.com.